0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Communication Coach Podcast where I'm going to help you to create successful change through powerful and honest conversations. I am your host, Nikki Perfect. (laughs) Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Communication Coach. I hope you're all well, hope you're having a good week, whatever you're doing. Today, we're gonna talk about conflict in the workplace. And the reason why I'm gonna talk about this today is because over the last week or so, quite a lot of conversations I've been having have been about conflict in the workplace. So, for example, I used to work in the Directorate of Professional Standards, which is Internal Affairs. And often, when we got complaints, it was because of a lack of communication between the two parties. And perhaps you can think of times in your own world, in your own relationships where things aren't going quite the way you perceived they would, perhaps the day isn't going the way you perceived it would, or the conversation or an outcome, because the communication has somewhere along the lines broken down. Now, a lot of the times this happens is because we are coming at everything from our own point of view, we like to be right, whether we're ever going to admit that or not, we like to be right, and sometimes we have conversations, very combative conversations, where we only listen in such a way to make ourselves right that it is all about us and all about being right. And I remember reading a saying around having a convers- conversations with adolescents that's, that said pretty much along the lines of listen so that you're not always right and listen to other people's points of views. So I'm going to cover eight steps today around how to improve your conversations in the workplace because we spend so much time at work and our relationships with people can really bring us down. And we might be enjoying the work that we're doing, but we have a customer or a client or a member of staff who for some reason makes our life very difficult. Now, there's that great 80-20 principle, isn't there, where 80% of the time is spent with the one person on your team who is... Causing you problems or difficult to manage, and the other twenty percent is spent on the rest of your team who just get on with the work and are very good. And it's the same in life. You know, eighty percent of the time, you don't wear what's in your wardrobe. In fact, eighty percent of your wardrobe sits there, and twenty percent of the time, it, you wear your favourite clothes. It's and it's the same in building habits, in eating. It's the eighty twenty principle, and there's lots that have been written on this very subject around. so, But we're gonna address eight points today around how to deal with conflict in the workplace and especially if it's impacting on your life. Because some of you, it's Sunday when I'm recording this and I know some of you will be dreading going into work because you know that you've gotta have conversations with people that you just cannot find a way to get on with them, you don't understand it because you normally get on with so many other people, you've never really had a problem, perhaps it's your boss, Perhaps you're working for somebody that you you just can't get get the hang of. You just don't understand them. And every every other boss you've ever had, it's always been fine. Or perhaps there's somebody in the office that all of you talk about, but none of you actually do anything about. Because it is very easy to talk about people. And it makes us feel comfortable. And it makes us feel normal. And it makes us feel okay about how we're feeling. And it's social proofing to us that it's not us that's in the wrong. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong because that's a human, natural thing to do. What I'm suggesting is that we start to look at our own behaviour. Now, I saw a really great Will Smith video this week and it was about blame and responsibility and the difference, the subtle difference in blaming other people but taking responsibility for your own actions. So if you've ever had your heart broken, it's very easy to blame the other person for the way that you feel and yet your responsibility is to find a way through the pain and to make your life good again. And when you reflect on that, although it's very hard in the moment because of all the emotions that you're feeling, and again, this is about being self-aware, it's to go, actually, I am responsible for my feelings. Now, I remember going over to the FBI course in Quantico, which was an amazing experience in itself, you know, where they they film all these incredible series, and you watch them on TV, with like Sky and Virgin and all the other sort of channels that we have these days, you it it shows you into a different world. So being there for me, I was like a small child in a in a sweet shop, you know, very excited. They took me to the shop. I bought all the sweatshirts, you know, the FBI sweatshirts. <laughs> bought them all home, and and then on the flip side, when they come over to the London course, they're exactly the same, you know. So it's it's funny how. They they think coming over to London is an amazing thing but we take it for granted because we live here and when I was going to Quantico I thought that was an amazing thing and they take it for granted because that's what they always see. So it's bearing in mind and having that self-awareness about your own personal beliefs. So let's crack on with the first one, which is, of course, Values and Beliefs, one of my favourite subjects. For those of you who have just come straight in on this podcast and haven't listened to the others, I'm going to highly recommend a book for you, which is The Values Factor by Dr. John Demartini. It gets you to do a load of exercises, gets you to look at your own values and your beliefs. But pretty much, if you have an inbuilt belief system and you believe you are right, you are going to make yourself right So, if you have somebody at work who works in a very different way from you, perhaps you're a real quick thinker, you know, the sort of person that's very dynamic and you enter the office and you know how you're going to do your day and you're on it and you're taking action and then you work with somebody who's very slow, speaks a lot slower than you, takes a little longer to get stuff and then moves forward. Notice I'm speaking in a very slow fashion. That's going to great with you because you're bouncy and you're up and you believe that this is the right way to do it and this is how we should do it, we should be full on, we should be going into it. And where the other person is uh, less risky or less dynamic, it doesn't mean that their ideas are wrong, it just means they work in a different way from you. Now, of course, there are going to be other people that will come into conflict with your values and beliefs. Because they believe they've been, perhaps they've been working there for 30 years. Perhaps you're the young person, the junior they perceive, the junior, let me just clarify that, who has come onto the team. Now, we get I used to get this um, when I was in the police. You'd work on a team, the team had been there for a long time, they knew their specialism, especially. And you you turn up as, as the new person and perhaps you're a lot younger. Perhaps you look a lot younger, but you're not necessarily younger. And so you have that initial hurdle to get over of, what do you know? Look at you. You don't even know about the company. Now, we had direct entry superintendents into the Met Police. And this caused a huge um, disappointment. Um, people were frustrated and angry. F- they felt undervalued. There was a whole culture around wha- what are we going to learn from these people coming in? Again, I'm, I'm not going to get into an argument of, of, around whether that's right or whether that's wrong, but it's about that belief system. And yet the people that were coming in and the people that invented the system believed that people coming in with different backgrounds could bring something new. So it's very interesting that when you're in conflict, and this is sometimes why change is so difficult, that managing change is very difficult Because people have their own perspective about it and they don't understand why we're changing when we've always done it this way and this way has always worked. So values and beliefs, really powerful. If you come into conflict with somebody's values and beliefs, you're going to get resistance. And if they, if you're not feeling comfortable with them, sorry, if you don't feel comfortable with them, it's likely because they're different. They have a different set of values and beliefs to you. So it's about how do we address that? Rather than just saying, okay, so we've all got the different values and beliefs. How am I actually going to address that? So one of the ways that you can address it, and I'm a great believer in honest conversations, and I believe that they work. And yes, they may cause a slight bit of tension in the beginning. But once it's out there, once it's done, then we can talk about it and move forward. Because if we never talk about it and we never address it, we call it the elephant in the room. Addressing the elephant in the room. It's the same when I was negotiating. We used to say we have to have brave conversations with people. Sometimes we have to say what everybody else wants to say. But you don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to say it in a way that belittles somebody, that shames somebody in public. You can just say, this is how I feel. This is what I believe to be true. So let's take an example of that. <coughs> when I worked on the firearms teams, I didn't know a great deal about firearms. It was quite Dynamic, there were people there who had been there for a long time and they were very strong in their opinions about what they believed to be true. So it was about explaining why certain decisions would be made. So, for example, if I had made a decision which I hadn't communicated clearly to the rest of the team, and then in the debrief afterwards, they would ask me in quite a robust fashion about why I had made that decision then that was my time to justify it. Yes, possibly, explain it. I would choose to use that better to them about why that decision at the time had been made. Now, if I had said it at the beginning, they probably wouldn't have even been having that conversation because it would have been clear. And the other things about values and beliefs is that the conversation can become very emotional. And I put my hands up to this as well. I am exactly the same when I'm emotional and I believe passionately in something and I believe that I am right then I'm going to stand my ground. And not only am I going to stand my ground, but I might be a little bit more aggressive in the conversation that I have because I want to be right. I want to feel valued. I want people to listen to my experience and say, actually, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, Nick, and you're absolutely right. But when you become emotional and more aggressive than assertive, then it pushes people back automatically, and then they become on the defensive as well. So honest conversations if you are if you want to have an honest conversation with somebody on your team, do it in private that's the first thing and just explain how you feel you know i know i I notice that the work is coming in late, and I feel frustrated with that because I have to explain it to somebody else i'm not, I, you know i i am worried because i was told that you were an excellent worker that your work is always on on time, and I wonder if you're okay or take responsibility for you know I came into this job. perhaps I was a little gung-ho. Perhaps I tried to change things without talking to people. And I've reflected on that and I've learned about that. And I'm sorry if my behaviour has made you feel. Now, another very powerful way to take ownership of your emotions is something called an I message, where you you say how you feel, not blaming anybody else, just taking responsibility. So, I, I feel this way. And then you tell them why you feel this way. I feel this way because... And then you tell them what the action is and you take responsibility for that feeling. So if you're a parent, I always say this is great for teenagers. If you've got a teenage child who comes home, they're late, you're frustrated, you're looking at the clock, you're starting to get worried, you're getting to the point where you're texting and phoning and they're never replying to you, they turn up at the doorstep, they're drunk as a skunk. Uh, for those people listening in other countries, that just means very drunk. And then... They you want to shout at them because of all your frustration. Actually, you're just so relieved that they're there, but you don't say, oh, my goodness, I'm so relieved. You start to offload on them and, and use words like, you make me feel so angry. How could you do this to me? Look at the state of you. I'm so embarrassed. I've contacted so-and-so. You're grounded, and you let all your emotion out. Whereas with an iMessage, you could say along something along the lines of, I feel really frustrated when you arrive two hours later than... Anti- anticipated and expected because i don't know what's happened to you it's done you know i don't know what's happened to you and actually i'm worried about where you've been but it's hard to do when you're caught up in the emotion so it's about being aware and getting hold of your emotion and it's the same in meetings i found myself in meetings before sitting there listening to what people are saying and going this isn't true the facts of this are not true i don't believe this this is you're confronting something that i believe to be true and all you want to do is butt in you want to butt in and have your say then it's about being self-aware enough to get that emotion under control and think about what the other person is saying before you go into combative conversation And you'll hear combative conversation all the time. You just listen to people talking in the office when one of them thinks they're right. You'll listen to your managers. I'm sure you've all seen managers that will um, have public conversations where they'll uh, have a go at somebody or they'll shout, why isn't this ready? Or they'll be angry and slam stuff on the desk. And that just puts everybody's back up. The communication becomes more tense and then we feel that it's harder to go and speak to somebody because of that. So instead of knocking on the door and going, hi, can I just speak to you for a minute? And them saying, you're okay, and saying, I, I feel frustrated because I'd like to talk to you about this, but I feel that I can't because when we try and talk to you, you just talk over me. Or when I've spoken to you before about this, I haven't understood what you've said and I didn't feel that I had an opportunity to question it. So it's all done in a very assertive, non-aggressive, non-emotional way. Right, moving on to the second one, the passive-aggressive person. So in conflict management, there are generally three types of people that we deal with, which I've covered before, but they are assertive, aggressive, and submissive submissive is the person that's always apologizing the person that walks down uh, into a a room with their head down won't make eye contact generally if you're really submissive you will walk into a shop and apologize to the um people the staff in there for actually ordering a product by asking (laughs) by saying something like i'm really sorry to disturb you hey you're in a shop to buy something and they're they're there And that's the purpose of having customer service. But if you're very submissive, subservient, that's how you'll be. Then you have the aggressive person who speaks from a point of view of emotional conversation. They are very emotional and that comes across as aggressive. And you see this a lot. Road rage, for an example, is an aggressive conversation. Where two grown adults who don't know each other think it's okay to block the road and shout at each other. And possibly even have a fight. Very emotional conversations. Then you have somebody who's very uh, passive who doesn't check meaning and doesn't check what's going on, uh, which fits into the submissive sort of bracket. And then you have the assertive person who is clear on their communication, what they would like to achieve, and they're very happy to explain everything, but also to check the meaning of, of other people's phrases and conversations. They're not afraid to... Understand because often we walk away from a conversation and we are, you know, what I don't really understand what they were saying there. And because we don't understand what they're saying, we make it up in our head anyway to fit with our values and beliefs. And so you build it up into this conversation, this incident that perhaps it wasn't. And then when you actually sit down and say to them, what did you mean by that? They mean a completely different thing. <laughs> but we've spent the last 24, 48 hours making it all up in our head about what they did mean and when you can't speak to them when you can't clarify it it's even worse because you just make up this whole story i'll get i can give you an example of that so for i was running some courses some national courses always got pretty good feedback yes there's been some negative feedback of course there is And you work on that and you address it, but you're able to go back to the person and say, okay, so I've I've noticed you made this comment. Can you just explain this? Can we talk this through? And when you talk it through, you find out actually it's something that was happening to them in their life or something that happened on that particular day and you can address it. But then there was this one incident. We had a guy who was very high up in the military and he was assessing our course. Now, I didn't know he was assessing our course. I thought he was there as a student. But it turned out that he... Was giving a very large piece of feedback to my boss. And I was away on holiday and I foolishly checked my work emails from my boss and he said, Right, this is the feedback I've had from so and so, this guy. And it was all negative. There wasn't one positive piece in there. And I was totally thrown off guard and got immediately defensive. The old adrenaline pumped through my body, the old anger started to raise and the voices in my head started to talk to me i was right of course i was right (laughs) and then as i settled down after about 25 i'm telling you this took some time probably three or four days of my holiday where i built this conversation up into uh, into the world ending to be honest and i had to find a way to put it to bed because i wasn't in a position for to make contact with him and i you know, of course, in my head, i would made loads of contact with him and had lots of conversations and made him wrong on several occasions. And then on reflection, looking at some of the words that he used, I was like, okay, can I change something here? Is, is If this is his perception, why is this I, that his perception? And what have I done to cause that perception? And then when you t- start to think in a different way, then you can start to possibly see why people might have a perception of you that they do and it always amazes me when i speak to people and they have this perception of me or they they'll might they might say oh i was a bit nervous about coming to speak to you and i'm thinking why because in my head i'm the most approachable person in the world but there must be something that i have said or done to that other person that's made them think actually you're not so that's very interesting if you want honest feedback i've said this before go and speak to the people you love and care about and they will give you honest feedback. Don't do it when you're in an emotional brain, and don't do it when you've had a drink. And be prepared to just listen to what they have to say and walk away. And it might be that somebody in your office has an opinion of you that you don't know about. And a way to find out is to ask, depending on how brave you are. Or 360 feedback, as I know a lot of firms do 360 feedback. So, then we have the passive-aggressive. Sorry, I got slightly sidetracked there. But then we have the passive-aggressive. And they are a difficult person to deal with because of their communication. So, they will, they will always be or always appear to be very calm, non-emotional and very logical. And will start sentences like this. I'm not criticising, but. I'm not having a strong opinion, but. I know I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. So they're passive-aggressive. So they are caveating what they're about to say so it looks like they are the person that is very calm and logical and sensible about it. Now, a lot of people come from a position of no. I'm reading a book by Chris Voss, who's an ex-negotiator, FBI negotiator, and he, he talks about coming from a position of no. And now the passive aggressive person will often come from a position of no, but they will belittle you. They will belittle what you've said and they will tell you why, often in front of a a lot of other people, to make themselves right. So just beware the passive aggressive and listen to the language that people are using around that. And the best way to deal with somebody who is a passive aggressive, I have found, is to be assertive and to check what they mean by that. And just to reflect the language back. So I might say something like, "When, when you, what you just said there, you said, I don't want to criticise, but. So I feel when you say that, especially with the but there, that there is a criticism. Um, and I'm, what could I do better? What do you mean exactly by that? How would you go about it? So by paraphrasing and reflecting back the language they're using to you, They might not even be aware that they're using it. It might just be a pattern of behaviour that they have. Sentences and phrases they've been using for a long period of time in their life that nobody has ever challenged. So be honest with them. Have honest conversations. Say what you see. Say what you hear. Managing expectations. So when we are in an emotional state, in an emotional brain, we behave like children, And you only have to look at your own behaviour and the behaviour of other people in your life. So, for example, road rage is complete emotional childlike behaviour. You know, stamping your fist, giving uh, finger signs or other signals of your displeasure outside the window, shouting and swearing, stopping the car, braking erratically as you're driving down the motorway. All of those sorts of things, which, if we're honest, most of us are guilty of... Because we let that emotional childlike behaviour take over straight away. And when we get frustrated, oh, we'll, we'll respond by, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. You know, what what make me, make me, make me do that. And we use language that's very childish. And we like to get our own way because most of us want to feel important. We want to feel important. We want to feel valued. And we would like some sort of understanding or some sort of recognition, even. And when we have something forced upon us or changed very quickly we can revert to childlike behavior now now children do this so if you ever read any parenting books or you've ever got any kids in your life if you don't manage their expectations and you change what the day was going to be at late notice without an explanation you will are likely to get a tantrum or certainly some sort of behaviour that will reflect quite angrily at you, and about how you said we were going to do this, and how life isn't fair, and how you've changed the rules, and sulking. Now we're all guilty of that ourselves, but with children we tell them off. With adults, we kind of, if we are in a relationship, we kind of just walk away, rolling your eyes, or we, or it ends up in a full-blown argument. So, manage expectations, and this also helps you to control your own life. So, a lot of managers have an open door policy. Now, I'm not, again, saying there's a right or wrong way of doing this. However, if you look at Tim Ferriss and the 4-Hour Working Week, if you talk to CEOs of big companies, they manage people's expectations. So, they will have on their out-of-office email, I only answer my emails between 8 and 9 a.m. or 6 and 7 p.m., once I leave the office, I don't have my emails. If you need me, text me or phone me. You'd be surprised at how many people don't contact you then because if it's a text or a phone call, it's more personal. And when it's more personal and you actually have to talk to a peop- to somebody, it's easier to just send an email at whatever day or night. You know, I, I remember like getting emails at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning when people were working different shifts or something had popped into their head and I'd wake up the next morning and think, why, why have you sent that to me at one t- 2 o'clock in the morning? If it's urgent, someone will phone me. If it's urgent, someone will text me. And the majority of the time, they don't. So we are very email-driven and email controls our life. And when we answer other people's emails, we're working for somebody else rather than ourselves. So by taking back some control, you can manage expectations to your own benefit. So you can manage when you have your open door policy. So I will be about between 9 and 11, come and see me in my office if you want to discuss something. Or I will be in the building. Or I will be here. I will be there. If, if people know what you're doing then and you're visible, then it's a lot easier for people to understand how you operate. And it, you know, it's, about, it's about that consistency as well. We all know people that we've worked for and with that come in on a day-to-day da- basis and they're a different person. Now, often, and I'll say this all the time, is you never know what's going on in somebody else's life. You will only see the tip of the iceberg, safe conversation, depending on what sort of relationship you have with them. So if they are off with you on a particular day, it might not be because of you. But unless others know what's happening and expectations are managed, then they will make stories up as well. Because it makes sense, doesn't it? Because we do it, so why wouldn't other people do it? So if something is going to change or you want something to change, then manage that expectation. Be upfront, be honest, tell them how it's going to be and then say, come and speak to me about it and, and let's talk about it if you have some issues. Don't email me, come and actually speak to me about it or email me and I'll come and speak to you about it. And, and these are simple little things. One of the strongest examples, and I can remember it so I know that it must be, <laughs> it must have had an impact on my life, was... I went to see an occupational health counsellor for some issue. It was we used to have mandatory referrals. So if we had been dealing with a lot of death over a particular period of time or or some big traumatic incidents, then we would have something called a mandatory referral. Now, when you become a negotiator, uh, your expectations are managed. And it's very simple that you will be referred if you deal with somebody who has died after you're talking to them or if you experience a traumatic incident and that takes away that whole I don't need to see anybody I'm okay and I remember going to see an occupational health advisor and speaking to them and she was a very lovely lady and there was nothing wrong with the way that she dealt with me whatsoever but she looked at the clock above my head and I saw her do it and as soon as I saw her do it I had a feeling of you're not listening to me. Now, I'm not saying that was right because I'm pretty sure she was listening to me. But she was managing her time and only had an hour with me. Now, if she has said to me, there is a clock above your head, Nick. I'm only uh, going to have an hour with you today because an hour is a long time for anybody to be talking and we have found experience shows that an hour is the best time for us to be able to move conversations forward and to find out where you are and then perhaps we can have another meeting but I don't have a watch. I don't want to look at my watch because it would be rude. But there is a clock above your head, so if I glance at it, that's what I'm doing—just checking in on the time. Now I would have accepted that, no problem at all. I'd have just gone. I'd have gone with it and been quite happy. So manage people's expectations. If you're going to do something, when I'm coaching somebody, I have a smart watch on my f- uh, on my wrist, and it vibrates after 45 minutes. Because again, in the world of coaching, I know if I go beyond an hour, an hour for. That person to be very intense is hard. And also I want them to leave our meeting with an action. So I've then got a period of time to work out what the best action is for them to take before we have our next meeting. But I tell them that. I say I have an alarm set on my wrist of 45 minutes and these are the reasons why. It's that power of telling people the reasons why. So manage their expectations. Get commitments from people. I'm looking at the time already. It's 28 minutes that I've been talking for. I wasn't expecting to go on f- for this long. So this is quite a long podcast. I'm going to manage your expectations now. This is going on a little bit longer than my normal ones. But this is important. I Well, I feel this is important. Get commitments from people. So if you have two people that are not getting on in the office and you are mediating between them, get a commitment from them. Because generally it will be about some sort of communication. So it might be that okay, so you so Bill and Ted are having an argument consistently around coffee, around not making coffee, which seems to be ridiculous to everybody else in the office and it's causing an atmosphere. So get a commitment from them. So what happens is every time Bill gets up to go and make a coffee, Ted makes a remark like, oh, wow, you're making yourself a coffee again, are you, Bill? I bet nobody else in the office is getting one. And Bill feels very threatened by this and doesn't know what to do or how to manage it and so just ignores, goes bright red and leaves the office, but feels undermined constantly. So get an undertaking from both parties that, you know, but Bill, whilst we, we're looking at this and we're we're sorting this out and this is how ted feels can i ask you just not, not to make a, a, a comment like that can i get you to commit to not making a comment for now i know you think it's funny getting everybody's attention but this is how he feels so get people to commit to if somebody's handing in a report get them to commit to a time yeah when when will i have that report in uh you'll have it in two days so i will have that report by wednesday because today's monday yes And is that a commitment? Yes, it is commitment. I was listening to a Tim Ferriss... I seem to be talking a lot about Tim Ferriss today. but I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast and he was doing an interview and uh, he said, do you know what? I'll come along as part of your programme as a lady who goes into prisons to talk a lot to inmates and set up a programme for them to get them to stop committing and to become entrepreneurs. And he said, I'm going to come to the prison. And she said do I have your commitment on that, Tim? Which I thought was great. Beg- and he, he said, yeah. And she was like, well, when, it, when is that happening? So it's about nailing people down to a time and a date. So if you want something done, get them to commit to a time and a date. Be consistent. We talked about this already. So be consistent in the way that you treat people. Don't treat other people more fairly than you would do someone else. Don't be caught out gossiping about other people as well. I... I <laughs> The more I, I think about this, the more I, you know, I've been listening to Brenny, um, Brenny Br- Brown's um, "In the Wilderness, Beating the Wilderness." Gosh, that's terrible. The name escapes me. I'll, I'll look that up on my phone whilst we're talking. But she talks a lot about, you know, you have a choice. You can stand in the corner and gossip with people, or you can get on with your own life. And you can, there we go, braving the wilderness. Brenny Brown. And she talks about how toxic it is. And when you look around, we're all comfortable, and I I spoke about this right at the very beginning, we're all comfortable talking about other people, and yet we would hate it if, if they spoke about us. And we also hate being confronted when they know that we've spoken about them. So think about how you would feel if it were you, and is it worth it? Or should we be having an honest conversation with somebody? I used to work with a guy who who used to really bring me down I didn't really understand him he was very set in his ways very much set in his values and beliefs I've always thought of myself as somebody who could build relationships with anybody and I just couldn't make any headway with him so I started avoiding him I started having like staff meetings with everybody else and avoiding him which wasn't right and I would actually get butterflies in my stomach when I used to go in if I knew I had to speak to him and I thought this is ridiculous this is absolutely ridiculous. And it was right at the beginning of my coaching career. So we're talking about 11 years ago. And I read a book called Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. And I thought, that just go in and be brave and challenge it. And so I took him out for coffee and we had a proper conversation out of the office. And I found out a lot about him just by listening to him. And yes, some of his values and beliefs didn't match fully with mine. But I had a greater understanding of him a much greater understanding of him which brings me on to point number six of be consistent uh, of be genuine so be consistent so i wasn't being consistent with him and i really forced myself to do that and took myself out of my comfort zone be genuine if you care there's a great um saying by john c maxwell who goes into big businesses in america and turns around and helps with teamwork and he says people don't care that you know until they know that you care. So people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And he was pretty much saying, you can be the most smart, intelligent person in the world and have all the degrees and letters after your name. If you don't care about your staff, then they are not going to work properly as a team for you because they will be too busy worrying about what you're going to say to them and talking about you behind your back. And they won't feel connected to you. And that's a huge thing about being genuine, and I've really found that in my negotiation life, is if you can be with somebody and be genuine with them, don't say something unless you mean it. Don't say sorry, don't say thank you, don't say I love you unless you really mean it, because people will see through you. And if you are disingenuous and people catch you out, you will never have any trust. And if you don't have any trust with somebody, you're never going to get them to do what you would like them to do, especially if you're a manager. Or especially if you've got some sort of conflict going on in the workplace. Own your own emotions. Own your own emotions. Be aware of the emotions that you are feeling. Take responsibility for them. It's really easy for us to blame other people. And you hear that in conversation all the time. Yeah, he. well, he makes me feel... When he does this, he makes me feel this way. Well, no, actually, he does an action and you feel this way. And I'm not being harsh or horrible around that because I'm exactly the same and I have to get a grip of myself and go... I am feeling this. And I am feeling this because of a variety of things. But I have to take ownership of that. I have to take ownership of my life. So when I got that negative feedback, which I dwelled over for three to five days, three to five days of my life that I am never getting back again, I have to take ownership for that feeling. Nobody is making me feel that I'm doing that perfectly well on my own. You know, if you sit here now and think of something sad in your life, you can feel sad. If you feel a loss and you think about it, you'll continue to feel the loss. Now, I'm not saying, I'm never going to say, of course, that it's easy to get over loss. It's not. Or it's easy to, get, to not feel that you're being persecuted, or, if that's a real belief of yours. Or to feel that somebody might be trying to undermine you, if that's a real belief of yours. There's another great phrase that Brené Brown says in her book. And that is, people are hard to hate close up. People are hard to hate close up. Email is easy. Social media is easy to be rude. I only have to look at the forums that go on around. I live in a little village and we have a village forum. And you see some of the comments on there from adults. And I, I'm tempted to write on there, hey, ladies and gents, you know, if your kids are reading this and then you go and tell your kids off for what they say or what they do, you're being totally hypocritical. Of course, that's my value and belief. But it, it helps us to hide behind this facade. And to be rude and vindictive to people when there's no need for it, because it is toxic behaviour. If you can't speak to somebody upfront and personal, and don't send it in a social media text message to somebody else, because that's not fair. And it's about having honest conversations. Of course, you can hear that this is all my values and beliefs, but I'm, you know, I'll be responsible and upfront around that, and take responsibility for my own actions because I've done exactly the same not only have I done exactly the same where I've been rude about other people and been caught out and then you see the effect it and the impact it has on the other person and that is not a pleasant feeling. But also being on the other side of it where other people have spoken about you or other people have been rude to you. So think about that. People are hard to hate close up. And often when we have disputes with people it's because we haven't actually sat down and explained what's happened and then so what generally occurs is that both parties build up the other person to be this bad horrible figure in their brain that they've done this they've done that they're responsible for this without thinking through where do i where am i responsible in this and can i have an honest conversation about this and lastly it's about that whole self-awareness of your own emotions and and i generally think that that is the hardest part of everything in life is being self-aware because we are so complex as human beings with you know these emotions if you have a brain injury it changes your personality especially on the emotional side or the language side another great book that i've read recently is a stroke of inspiration about a lady who had a stroke she was a neurologist and she had it on her left side where the language is so the right side she still had all the emotions so when people came to her she had no idea what they were saying but she could feel if they were being with her or if they were draining her which i found fascinating i mean human brain is an amazing piece of equipment and i'm just at the age of 49 really starting to get to know mine because it takes time and i i genuinely wish somebody had told me all about emotions and logical brain and how i'm more likely to react i was a very angry kid and if i'd known that it takes 90 seconds for that chemical reaction to dissipate through my body and i just have to take myself aware away then my life would have probably been a lot easier so if you take anything from this podcast at all think about how you react think about how you deal with frustration and anger and emotion uh, do you are you blaming people do you look to hold yourself accountable and responsible or are you looking for other people to be responsible for how you feel and and that's not always easy to admit and it often takes time the fact that you're listening to this podcast probably means that you are at a stage where you you want to improve your communication you want to improve your relationships in life so have a think about that so there's eight steps of conflict in the workplace and how you deal with it your values and beliefs and other people's values and beliefs are incredibly important. Remember, they're not going to be the same. So if you're getting pushback or you're feeling pushback, it's probably because they've been compromised in some way or shape or form. Passive-aggressive people, the people that start with, you know, I shouldn't say this or I'm not criticising but. Manage people's expectations and manage your own life through managing their expectations. We use the example of Email. Get people to commit to different aspects of their work, especially if it's reports coming in on time or being on time or not taking the mickey out of other people in, in the staff room or not talking about issues and, and, and gossiping. Be consistent. Be genuine in everything you do. Own your own emotions. Be self-aware of those emotions. Please, if you've got any questions or anything to say or you'd like me to cover any sort of subjects, then just let me know. I'm hoping the sound is getting better in these podcasts. I have taken your feedback on board. Thank you for taking the time out to leave that feedback for me. And again, let me know how you're getting on and I will catch up with you during the week. Okay, take care. Have a good one. Hey everybody, Nikki again. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast and thank you for joining me. You can find me on social media at Nikki Comms Coach at Twitter and The Communication Coach on Facebook and thecommunicationcoach.co.uk. Please like, share and review and I look forward to speaking to you soon. <laughs>